Hi, everyone, and welcome to Wholesale Change. It's the webcast and podcast from Distribution Strategy Group, where we offer thought leadership for wholesale change agents like you. My name is Ian Heller with Distribution Strategy Group, here with my genius business partner, the one and only Jonathan Bine, PhD. Jonathan, how are you today, my friend? I'm well, Ian. You know what you know what they say about geniuses? No. Takes one to know one. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Wow. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's okay. true. I think you can be I can recognize your genius without you having to like be overly polite and claim that I am one too. <laughs> right right back at you times a hundred, bro. So just so just stop. Okay. All right. Well, let's tell you what. Why don't we uh, uh get past the uh the mutual flattery? And uh, and and the pleasantries, the pleasantries, and uh, let's do a little business and then get started with the show, shall we? Fantastic. All right, good. So we got a couple things to tell you about. So first of all, and this is one of the reasons I call Jonathan genius. He invented this product, this uh, subs- this subscription software an- analysis tool called DemandRx that will help you understand sales by product category by by region like zip code or whatever msa and basically we take your data and some market data and we figure out like you know what each customer should be buying of a certain product category and then we show you what the gap is so that if you're doing the right thing in terms of sales coaching and sales management you can sit with your reps and ask them why these gaps exist now, there are other uses for this tool, right? Like you can do wallet share analysis and market share analysis, but uh, it's it's a really important method or, or or data set that can help you with your coaching of your account managers. And the customers who are using this, the distributors who are using this product from us love it. Uh, and we're really excited to continue to roll it out. What am I missing, Jonathan? I think you got it, man. Awesome. Yeah, I, it's pretty cool. You like this map here. You can dial down and look at individual accounts. And I, I mean, it's it's an amazing tool. And you really ought to reach out to Jonathan and ask for a demo. That's jbein, J-B-E-I-N, at distributionstrategy.com. All right, next up, we are coming back this year with our live conference, our live event, Applied AI for Distributors. Once again, it's June. It's at the Chicago Marriott O'Hare, it's June 4th through 6th. Uh, we're bringing back Zach Cass, who's an AI futurist. He used to be the head of go-to-market for OpenAI. Uh, he's the highest-rated keynote speaker I've ever seen. He did a phenomenal job, uh, and uh, we're excited to have him back. Plus, we have a whole new agenda with a bunch of new stuff as well and a bunch of technology companies there. Uh, it's funny, Jonathan, because we often talk about, like, when you go to a distribution conference, it feels like the crowd's kind of behind technologically, right? Sort of technological dinosaurs. Not that this event. Be, that would be an apt statement. Yeah, but not this event. And you were the one who pointed this out. The, at this event, everybody's like this technology, progressive, enlightened individual. It's unlike anything else in distribution. Yeah. So we really encourage you to uh, attend. Check it out. You can go to our website or apply to AIfordistributors.com to see the agenda, which is still, we got a lot of exciting announcements coming on the agenda, but there's some pretty good stuff in there already. All right, and we want to thank White Cup as our sponsor today. As a distributor, you move a lot of products and you move fast. Sometimes it's hard to tell which actions are actually moving the needle when it comes to your revenue. Maximize every move with White Cup CRM and business intelligence software powered by AI. You'll discover your next best actions at your fingertips. 
like which products to recommend to increase order value, when customers are most likely to reorder, and who is most likely to buy slow-moving stock. And with sales and marketing automation built for distributors, your team can make the most of every interaction effortlessly. Your next best actions are waiting. Schedule a consultation today at go.whitecupsolutions.com slash next best action. That's go.whitecupsolutions.com slash next best action. Great products, great people. We're delighted to work with them on the Wholesale Chain Show. All right, let's get to the conversation today and bring in our special guest. We're delighted to welcome to the show, Mr. Ian Gresham, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at Brady Plus. Ian, thank you so much for joining us on Wholesale Change. Hey, thank you very much, Ian. It's a pleasure to speak to another Ian, by the way. That doesn't happen that often, but uh, yeah, I'm excited to be here. I've uh, received some of your reports uh, from Distribution Strategy Group over the years and um, eat that stuff up. You guys have uh, generated a lot of good insights, and it's great to talk to you guys. Oh, fantastic. Thanks. Yeah, the I, the, the name Ian was much more rare when I was a kid, probably, than when yes. you were a kid. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, but but even now, it's not that common. But hey, Ian, I, I love your background. It's really interesting. <laughs> Hang on, Ian. Yeah. I'm going to change my name to Jonathan. Jonathan. <laughs> just to fit into for the call here, yes, or, or Ianathan. Yeah. Ianathan, yeah, the, the, the J could be if it were Germanic, or yeah, it could be Ianathan. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. I'm just telling people that's really what my full name is, and I chopped it down to Ian. Yeah, so I mean, we so we're going to get into your background, Ian Gresham, but just for our audience, this is absolutely one of the most monumental deals of the last twelve or twenty-four months in distribution. Um, the this, this story that, that Ian Gresham was going to tell us about Brady Plus. So it's we're, we're really excited to get into that. Um, back back to you, Ian Heller. Oh, no, that's, that's great. Yeah, jump in any time, of course. Um, so uh, I think you have this fascinating background. I mean, you're a Marine, and you have an MBA from Harvard, which is, you know, those are, I mean, there are a lot of really bright, obviously, Marine Corps uh, officers or enlisted men or what I'm not even sure what you what you did there. I'm sure you'll tell us. But yeah. why don't you kind of walk through your background? Start with you know I don't know a little bit about where you grew up and your educational background, sure. your military background, and then walk us through your career before we get to the rest of the discussion. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, born in Texas, grew up in Texas and Florida. Uh, I uh, started college in Florida. Didn't really have anything I was super passionate about and stumbled into the, the Marine Corps opportunity and got pretty excited about doing something just entirely different from what my life had been, you know, before. I actually joined the Marines to go into the infantry. I just was ready to go do something rough and exciting and see the world and uh, uh, signed up for that. And unbeknownst to me, they had a program where they were screening everybody who came in and looking at test scores. And uh, as it turns out, I was eligible and ended up going down this path where I did presidential security while I was in the Marines as well. Wow. Uh, took me through, got a top secret security clearance, came to DC for a while, lived there and then lived at Camp David, the presidential retreat for about a year and a half. And just a super unique experience that uh, felt like I had a little window on a piece of history. Uh, Clinton was president at the time and got to meet the president, first lady, and uh, see and do exciting things. And then 
finished that, went back out into the fleet Marine Force and, you know, had my experience in the infantry as well. Uh, and uh, anyway, wrapped that up, knew I wanted to go back to school, finished school at University of Maryland. Uh, so go Terps. Uh, loved that D.C. kind of Virginia area, uh, beautiful part of the country. Um, and after graduation from University of Maryland, where I studied marketing, I joined Black & Decker, an amazing mm. sales and marketing company. You know, they manufacture products, obviously not a distribution business, but great place to learn and grow as a young commercial, you know, mind. Uh, and great role models there, great training, uh, and really enjoyed being affiliated with such an awesome brand, primarily was working on the DeWalt brand. Uh, so got to do a lot of fun things along the way there. Uh, later, I uh, went to Harvard Business School where I got my MBA. And I remember, first, it's an interesting thing about Harvard. They had the, uh, they attract a pretty good number of military alumni, if you will. So over 10% of the, the annual MBA program typically is uh, uh, Marine Corps, or excuse me, veterans from the military. And the Marines, although they are, they are by far the smallest service, had the second largest contingent of people uh, in the Harvard MBA program. Uh, no kidding. Uh, and it's just there's there's a lot of focus on leadership in the Marine Corps and a lot of right. focus on leadership in the Harvard MBA program. So there's a lot of overlap there. And uh, anyway, it was kind of cool. And I do remember a moment that I, people in high school who knew me would not have guessed that I, I would end up in the Marine Corps. And then I just I went to a public high school. I was a good student, not amazing, but uh, to find myself at Harvard, I remember we had a Marine Corps veteran event, and I remember standing at attention, singing the Marine Corps hymn in a ballroom at Harvard Business School, thinking, no way in hell would 10 years ago I have forecasted that this moment in time in any way would have existed for me. So anyway, it was a very colorful few, you know, uh, experience to go through both of those things. And uh, left there, moved on, and was recruited to join Danaher, a big industrial yeah. conglomerate. Um, and and we uh, made craftsman tools and tons of brands of tools. So multi-brand, it was a house of brands. Um, and I had great experiences there, both on product development. I have my name on a few patents uh, where we we innovated and created new products and uh, but also had some great sale selling experiences where we won new business with big retail customers um, and was recruited later to join Sherwin-Williams, another great brand and kind of the same home improvement space and led marketing for a division that had, again, a house of brands. We had over 20 brands and, you know, Thompson's Water Seal, Minwax, Krylon Spray Paint, just lots of brands that people know and don't maybe think about until they need them. But uh, and I had a, I, I referred to it as a marketer's playground for me because I had all these teams working on all these different brands with different products, different end users. And we did everything from social and digital to working with the retailers and uh, product development and working with chemists and engineers. And it was a great experience. Uh, and later was recruited to join Univar, which became Univar Solutions, which is my first experience in B2B distribution, where I joined as the CMO uh, and uh, spent several years there and really ended up in a role where I was at the intersection of marketing and digital, uh, responsible for marketing, corporate communications as well, and then digital commerce and 
uh, I have found that to be super exciting and rewarding to be at that intersection where marketers think about the value proposition, the customers, the unspoken needs, and how are we answering what customers need. But then this uh, huge uh, field of opportunity around digital commerce, uh, how can we make the customer experience faster, better, e easier? How can we glean insights from the data and the transactions to know more about our customers and serve them better? Uh, and it's just got a great scoreboard uh, where you can show what works and what doesn't and help the company grow through digital and digital commerce and marketing automation. And uh, so spent several years there uh, and ultimately ended up at uh, Envoy Solutions. One of my colleagues, uh, Mark Fisher from Univar joined as CEO and called me over and man, this has been an exciting ride. Envoy, at the time I joined, we had three businesses that had been acquired by uh, our parent company, FEMSA. And uh, since then, uh, well, in the in the next two and a half years or so, we've completed over 30 acquisitions. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> the, the uh, anchorman uh, quote, you know, that ex escalated quickly. <laughs> Uh, comes to mind because uh, you know nobody saw nobody really anticipated the right. pace and uh volume of acquisitions we would do so quickly but it has been a, a really a thrilling ride uh and then the news uh about the merger with brady who had acquired over 20 of their companies in their own journey and putting these together now we have over 60 brands that we bring together uh under the brady plus umbrella uh and um that obviously this has been an exciting three years <laughs> a lot of change uh and and a lot of opportunity and we're, we're really just accelerating into the next chapter now you know uh ian, ian just real quick jonathan ian you're i know you're not as young as you used to be but you still are early in your career there's still time to accomplish something <laughs> i'm working on it we got a list list of things to do here what a what a phenomenal what a phenomenal story. I love it. Sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Well, this is also kind of humorous anecdote. I knew a guy that went to Wharton and to West Point, and we were sharing stories about dealing with raccoons. And he had created something he dubbed Operation Raccoon Removal. We would expect no less from a guy from West Point, right? Um, yeah. He had a bunch of raccoons under under his porch, and he was, you know, he had a thing for getting setting peanut butter, getting them in the cage, take them out to the wild one by one. Um when we were prepping for the show, I mentioned a company that had done 38 acquisitions, and I got absolutely no sympathy from you when I mentioned that. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, this this whole thing of dealing with that many brands, uh, we, we we often talk about this notion of a branded house, meaning meaning a single brand versus a house of brands where you have, at this point in time, 60 brands. Um, talk to us about how you and Brady Plus are thinking about branded house, house of brands, evolution, integration, timeframe for brands. This, this is a really rich story. When I, I think our audience would love to hear about this. Yeah, first I would say uh, one, one thing that's kind of attracted me to uh, always look forward to talking to you guys is, first of all, the world doesn't understand that much about distribution, or there's a narrow segment of the world that really gets into it uh, and understands the dynamics of distribution and how that's different from many of the other uh, businesses out there. 
Um, but it is unique also to be in this business. And then, like you mentioned, the other company to be going through that consolidation phase and experience. Um, it is a, a unique dynamic to have to work through with unique problems. Um, and, uh, but, you know, make no mistake, our vision here is to bring this all together to be one consistent promise, a value proposition to our customers, one consistent experience, set of capabilities from coast to coast. So we can either uh, interact with a single customer from coast to coast in different locations, but offer the same kind of uh, supporting capabilities equally well wherever we play. And the next several years for us is this chapter of bringing it all together, becoming one. That is the very concise way we say it, becoming one. That means systems, it means processes, it means teams, organization, culture, um, and ultimately brand will be evolving over that time too. So Brady Plus will be the our go-to-market brand in the marketplace. It's not going to happen overnight, um, but I guess I'm a runner. I was, I was thinking about this and I would say uh, it's not, not going to be a 100-meter sprint but it's not a marathon either. This is going to happen in a 10K at a good clip. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so so it's deliberate. Uh, we have a plan. We're working towards that. And we're excited to, to do that. Uh, and bring our employees and our customers along with us to explain what's happening, the upgrades to the experience and capabilities that will happen along the way, what this means for them and how we're going to help them even more. And you know, I think important, we have some amazing brands and heritage from the companies that have become part of Brady Plus, and we don't intend to throw that away either. Some of our some of the brands that we brought together now are over 100 years old, and they've had multi-generational family journeys that helped, you know, build what they are, and that that's become the foundation of what we are. So we're excited to continue to recognize that heritage and sort of what brings us together and some of the shared experiences many of our employees have had along the way. Uh, and that has a lot of value. So we don't overlook that either, you know? You know, a couple thoughts. One is that in my experience, the best brand solutions are often a little messy. And the nature of decision makers is to go all the way one way or the other. We're a branded house, we're a house of brands. And what you're describing is something that has more nuance to it. Um, the other thing that's interesting to me is it seems like you've always been in sort of a house of brands environment, but in this case, you see the need for what is, you know, ultimately for the most part, a branded house. Um, and that shows a lot of sophisticated thinking about branding, because what I found is that most people, wherever they've come from, they think the rest of the world should be that way. So if I was part of a house of brands, everything should be a house of brands. If I was a branded house, everything should be a branded house. Um, and you know, what gives you the, the, is it just that you've worked in branding so much that you understand that these solutions are necessarily nuanced or, uh, I mean, how do, and how do you enroll the rest of the management team in what is not just this, you know, black and white decision around your branding? Yeah, maybe I can, uh, compare. So today we, we operate in, uh, Jansan food service and packaging, industrial packaging kind of, um, environments, those categories. Uh, and all of the businesses that we brought together share that focus. You know, some may have one segment, one of those segments, some two, some three, but we're staying focused in that area there. And most of what's differentiated them is geography. They were a brand that existed in a local market and their brand existed right. in a local market. 
and if I compare that, say, back to the, my, I referenced my experience at Sherwin-Williams where we had Minwax, we had Thompson's Water Seal, we had Krylon. That was a house of brands, but every brand stood for a different promise that people, right, that people could count on. Krylon was uh, no drips, no runs, no fouls, right. meaning it's, a, it's all about how easy it is to use spray paint to make a project happen. Um, so the brand, I guess what I'm getting to here is that a brand is a promise and, the, and, and a promise is based on trust and trust is based on consistency of delivering results. And so in our case now, Brady Plus stands for one promise, and that's really about um, partnering for success with our clients. That, that's about um, we're, digital helps us make this easy for them. But the magic in our DNA of our business is about a consultative relationship where we help our clients think differently about their business. 80 to 90% of what they buy from us, they bought before, they don't have any questions about. We just keep the trains running on time, basically. But when they think, I got to open a new building and I need to think about how I'm staffing, how, how I'm equipping, et cetera, uh, we have the industry experts who can come in and say, now's a chance to rethink the way you used to do it, and here's a new way to set up your operations, and here, here, are, the, here are the equipment and the consumables you're going to need to generate next level results. And so that promise is consistent across all of our businesses. So that that's what gave me cons the the confidence that one brand can work for everybody and should because we're making the same promise wherever we play. Really, uh, if it was different then we would need different brands. Uh, but the brands in our in our history really were geographic solutions, not value prop, value proposition promises, you know? So I think that's a really interesting point you're on there. Um, so we've hosted CEOs from different companies who are doing roll-ups of one kind or another. So we've hosted John Mark from Blackhawk Industrial. We hosted Ben Hensler from MCE, Motion Control Enterprises. The Black Hawk Industrial thing is a pure geographic growth plan. They're, they are acquiring like-for-like -like companies. They integrate them with just extreme efficiency, like soup to nuts, brand systems, product, yeah. everything in 45 days. Yeah, that's great. That's crazy, right? But you can do that when you're acquiring more or less homogenous. Homogenous, yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, but then we talked to um, Ben Hensler uh, from Motion Control Enterprises, and they are acquiring really diverse properties. So they've got somebody that's in hydraulics, they got another company that's in pneumatics. There's value in the local brand. Um, they're trying to do four-legged, in some cases, thick-legged sales calls, right? Because they do. They, they, a part of the thesis of the investment is we want to cross over one thing to the other thing, and vice versa, right? But those those seem to be ends of the spectrum, and it, it was um, it was interesting to realize that when you're acquiring like properties, the strategy you're taking on makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I think uh, in a case like that one, that you know the challenge will be if you wanted to have one brand over multiple product categories, maybe there's similarity in the value proposition, but the transition, I I've, I have uh, seen companies break things. <laughs> You know, to be make a transition too fast, and people who trusted one of the brands lose trust very quickly as soon as something changes, and uh, that's that's a risk. You always, as a marketer, got to think carefully about that. We just mentioned Ben Hensler's not at MCE anymore; he's over at Lawson Products. Correct. Yes. 
we see that frustration from the customers of the add-on company when when we do customer experience surveys. It's not, I mean, when it gets broken by the acquiring company, you're going to hear from from the customers and and they're going to say, look, things were better before the acquisition. Yeah. Um, We we did a a survey for one um, distributor in the HVAC plumbing space and the add-on company customers said, don't become Ferguson. You know, that was a really super strong sentiment, uh, really a longing for the the experience with the previous brand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that that is a dynamic that as soon as anything changes after an acquisition, uh, people attribute it to uh, the you know the new management or, or acquisition uh, situation. Or so, got to be careful about that. And that that that's kind of what I meant by. You know, we don't intend to make this happen overnight, but we're going to move through it pretty quickly. And I, I, I guess I've, we'll have to, we lean on our communications, which is one of the other things that, that I'm responsible for, but it's change management. How do you make people aware of what's happening? What isn't yeah. going to change? What are those changes going to be? How, what are the implications? How do you make them easy for the, you know, the stakeholders to, to navigate the changes, but surprises people don't like. Yeah. So the better you can communicate it, uh, the smoother the transition is and the, the more forgiving, especially if they understand the benefits that will come from this. Let's let's talk about digital because I know you're excited about that and you're in a sector where it can really have a strong play. Talk yeah. to us about, about your platform on digital, perhaps how that varies across your, your different sec- your sectors. Let's, let's go there. Sure. I mean, uh, I guess I would say, first of all, our digital journey is just like our brand journey. We're putting a lot of things together. We had a lot of different businesses that that all had their own independent platforms. And now, uh, as I said, becoming one means how do we navigate the transition from many to one to a common system and common platforms? So, you know, there's choices about what platforms we use, but more importantly is how do we navigate it? And, um, and the work that, that, you know, dictates for us is uh, first data. How are we putting, you know, getting the data in one place to make sure it's accurate, clean, ready to use, and we're able to capitalize on it to make the experience better. And um, so, and I would assume that any of our, the folks listening today would commiserate or (laughs) relate to the importance and the challenges of working with data and cleaning it up and making sure that you've you know, the, the battle that 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 represents and it's never over. Uh, so so we're on that journey right now, for sure. Um, pleasantly surprised with how fast we can pull things together centrally. Uh, but we're just we're still very early in that journey. And then what's been interesting is uh, I would say as a distributor, looking for platforms in the marketplace that that are available that actually are built for and uh, demonstrate strong understanding of the distribution model is important. And I say that having, you know, made gone through the process of selecting platforms for e-commerce and, and otherwise that uh, in my mind, I, I'm listening to the, the brands, you know, the technology platform company or consultants that help implement the those and uh, many of them speak from experience based on working for manufacturers 
who have, yeah. have implemented an e-commerce strategy. And the bar, I'm going to be, I'm going to use the generalization right now, but I would say the bar is very low for success. If you're a manufacturer who's getting your, putting your feet into the water of e-commerce, which is probably the last five, 10 years for some of these companies. And uh, for a manufacturer, get the products online, take a credit card order and ship it. You know, So there's some challenges with integrating with your supply chain, but the e-commerce experience is very simple. And whatever sales a manufacturer makes in this space, it's a margin win for them. They make two to three times the margin they would selling it through a distribution partner. So it feels like a huge success with very little volume in some ways. That's that's how I would characterize it. But the reality is for a distributor to think about e-commerce experience and customer experience, the sophistication level is much higher in a lot of it for, for any business that already has e-commerce in place. It's going to be a high bar for customization of the experience, configurability of the experience, um, the diversity of types of customers that we serve. Um, so uh, that's been one observation I had is, um, you know, not all things are created equal. And, and uh, we've tried to look for the partners that really understand distribution and the complexities that we try to address in our digital customer experience. So, so just, a thought, just a thought there on that, Brian, or I mean, and also for our, for our listeners. So that means platform yeah. is, you mentioned, around not just B2B, but distribution specifically, but also implementation partners. Yeah. So, yeah. so you could get, let's say you chose Magento, which may meet the first criteria, but if you get an implementation partner who knows consumer or who knows manufacturer, you're going to be lost, right? Yeah. And and I mean, I guess that what this means to you as a customer in that marketplace, a distributor is like, you got to spend a lot of money developing stuff that another platform may have already developed. And right. uh, maybe that's obvious, but... <laughs> There are a lot of people out there selling technology and platforms that, uh, you know, from the get go, you may have catch up to do versus selecting a platform that has a great experience with this distribution and has already addressed lots of the customer complexities that distributors accommodate uh, in our world. So, yeah, I think so. we we see a lot of times there's a lack of understanding about how much more complex B2B distributors are than retailers or, you know, consumer marketers. In fact, there's this absolutely insidious thing that happens where these outside experts say, you should make your B2B site just like a B2C site. And that's just nonsensical. I mean, you think about like in B2C, an account is one person, one email address, one credit card, one physical address. Try selling to you know, yeah. janitorial supplies to one of your major hotel chains or restaurants, you know, you have yeah. thousands of potentially of buyers, or at least hundreds, and you have all these different locations and custom assortments and different payment methods and delivery. I mean, it's so complex. It's nothing like a retail site. And then think about the complexity of the products and things that may need to be kitted or, or, uh, um, may need to be configured or cut or, I mean, there is no comparison. And so when I see these distributors going by what is really a B2C platform and they think it's now a B2B platform because they put a PO field in it, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that that doesn't make that platform right for a distributor. It means, you know, 
if, if you want to sell to a handful of tiny little businesses that use PO fields, that's fine. But yeah. even those people are not going to use your PO field. They're going to email the, the order to you. Yeah. You know? And so the, the, you know, the understanding that a lot, and so much business is going to happen where the customer shops on your website and then buys through a PO that's emailed to you or through a phone number, the inability to do proper attribution and to connect those sales. I mean, the levels, the, it's it's an order of magnitude or maybe two orders of magnitude more complex than a simple B2C site. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are there is overlap. There's, you know, it's a Venn diagram and there's definitely overlap there. Yes. And we share with B2C is people want great information. They want lots of information. Yeah. Want lots of images or videos to understand right. better what they're what they're evaluating for a what I would call a high consideration purchase, where they, they're really doing the research on this. Um but also, I guess uh, another area where we may have some overlap is some retailers enjoy lots of repeat business. Uh, and our business may be 80, 90 plus percent. But, you know, our customers buying what they've bought before. And it's just how do we streamline that and make it really easy? Right. So there's some areas of overlap, but it would be uh, naive simplification <laughs> to, to assume that we could have the same solutions for very different customer environments. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at the you know the product data requirements, right? I mean, you know, generally related to the sophistication of the products. What what kind of value added services do you guys offer your customers? Oh, uh, geez, well, uh, training. We train them on products and uh, processes for how they use the products in their their uh, their operations. Um, servicing equipment. Uh, we make recommendations and packaging on entire end of line automation setups, in addition to the consumables that would be running through a line like that. Um, you know, and just simply um, how we deliver products, um, you know, versus a B2C, we're not, it's not dropped on your front doorstep. It's not um, uh, shipped via FedEx generally, you know, like, right. So to become a customer, there there's a lot that we do to set up and understand how how should we deliver to this customer their unique needs, their locations, their receiving capabilities. How do they? Where do they want it? How do they want it? Yeah. You know, when I go out and talk to customers, one of the first things our customers will tell us is uh, they love our drivers. Like mm -hmm. we own our fleet and we have our own drivers, and the drivers are making sure that the delivery happens the way it needs to for our customers. So it's all the way onto the loading dock or into their supply closets or their their uh, their inventory areas where our people are um, taking the customer experience. Uh, and to, to our customers, that means, you know, how do they, how can they we're a partner that helps them do business the way they need to do business and the way they want to do business. And we're totally committed to helping them achieve next level business results for themselves. It's not just take the sale and ship it out of our distribution center and you know wish them luck with that. Um, some of our companies have said in the past, uh, we don't just ship boxes, we know what's in the box, we know how to use it, we help yeah. you with implementing and training your teams with that. Um, and you know the customers we naturally gravitate to in the market tend to be the highest volume users in the marketplace in these areas. So they have the most sophisticated needs. Uh, and we have lots of transactions and interactions with them throughout a year. 
Uh, it's not occasional, uh, but it's almost every one of our customers has a relationship with somebody or multiple somebodies in our company who they call to, to do problem solving. They call for advice and expertise. Um, and they count on us to come in quarterly and bring new ideas on how we can help make things better. So, uh, that, that's that that's a that's it in a nutshell i would say you know it's it's we we ship a whole lot of stuff to them but yeah. it's it's all the wrapping that goes around that too so i read on your website you've got six i don't know that this is current you don't have to you don't have to correct it if you want want to but you're like six thousand employees 1500 of whom are in sales and then you've got a bunch of drivers so a huge portion of your workforce is engaging with customers on a daily yeah. basis yeah and customer service inside our uh, locations right. as well, uh, talking to people on a daily basis. Man, I, I, I had this uh, experience earlier in my career that um, we did a survey, B2B distribution of our own customers and asked them about customer experience, what they liked, what they didn't like, what was valuable, what was not, who they trusted, who they interacted with. And I thought it was enlightening to hear that. Um, and. I would say, I believe this is true in our, the business I'm in today as well, but to many of our customers, and at the time, the results of this survey showed that the, the uh, level of trust customers have with their customer service associate is higher than with their account manager on sales. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because on a daily basis from week to week, that customer service agent is solving problems and preventing problems uh that yeah. they know that they know how this customer works and what their needs are and if if an order comes through with the wrong information they fix it without having to even ask a question uh and then they'll, they'll tell the customer hey i saw this came through pretty sure that's not what you meant right and so there's this level of trust that uh exists there with that relationship and and our knowledge of the customers so but I, I think that that is another differentiating component of how we go to business is I, I would say um, it's important and something we take pride in. Our sales reps are on site at our customers' locations regularly. They understand our customers' operations and what are their objectives. Uh, and, and that's how we're valuable is understanding what how we can contribute to what they're trying to accomplish um, and based on that knowledge. So. How do you stay plugged into customers personally? Well, I do like to try to get out there and talk to customers face to face, uh, riding along with salespeople, uh, walking in, hearing what, what what are the problems that come up, what are the complaints, uh, um, what you know, what are the opportunities, how are we helping people today? I mean, face to face individual inter interaction is great. Actually, uh, one of the stories I love to tell is on one of these trips, I went out and. Um, spoke to somebody who was uh, responsible for facility management at a university. Um, you know, I just like to understand how's it going? What's our customer experience like to you? What would you define? You know, what do you, what matters to you? And this, uh, this woman uh, explained to me that, well, customer experience, let's see. Uh, of course, I got your account rep who's sitting here right next to us in the room. Call him whenever I have a problem or a question or something. He's very responsive. That's good. Um, you know, I get on the phone with customer service from time to time. Your drivers, actually drivers was the first thing out of her mouth. Your drivers are great. They always bring, they put the deliveries away where they need to be. I never get complaints from any of my staff on deliveries. Mm -hmm. Get that from other services or ever other deliveries we receive. You guys do it right every time. Uh, and you know, your website, I'm on your website several times a month looking at things and 
uh, was like, great, thank you. I'm actually responsible for that. So, you know, asked her some more questions about that. At the end of the meeting, I'm recapping. So customer experience to you is, you know, our drivers, sales rep, customer experience, and our website. Does that sound right? Did I get that right? She's like, yeah. And I spend more time with your website than any of them. And I thought that is a great quote to understand. <laughs> this puts it in perspective now in today's world. Yeah. Even in a relationship business, the customers uh, start digitally. And, you know, half of the, the sales process is over before we talk to them about something they know they need and they're researching. Um, and that's where they go to solve problems first. And if they can't figure it out online, then they reach out to a person, right? So that's why digital, this intersection of marketing and digital, understanding the customer needs and how do we enable it online is so valuable uh, in, in our business, you know? How are you providing efficiencies for your customers in ordering, in doing digital ordering? Well, there's quite a lot of, of ways that we do that. But um, first of all, knowing what they purchase and making it really easy to make to, to repurchase things that they they buy over and over again, right? Uh, we anticipate and we, we know 80 or 90% of the time they're looking for something they bought before. So we try to make that really easy. Um, but also, it's not always a B2C transaction where one person comes on the website and buys it and is done. Often, this is teams of people a manager and multiple site managers or something, right? Uh, and so enabling a team to purchase uh, through the same account and with different permissions and ability to see their budgets uh, and how, how much they're spending, what they've bought, uh, control, things like that. Um, we are enabling processes that maybe some of our customers haven't enabled in their own business uh, mm. so come part of how they operate, how they manage across uh, for instance, a public school district may have over a hundred different people buying on the same account uh, that, you know, if we have that uh, account. So being able to enable that complexity makes things more efficient as well. Uh, it, it, accessing customer records and information, invoices, shipping documents, being able to access that digitally 24-7, that saves time. They don't have to wait on somebody to get back to them with an email or pick up the phone or, you know. Um, so making information accessible to them digitally is valuable. To, to what extent, to what extent is it e-procurement going through the shopping cart? What, what are you seeing across your different customer segments or maybe even different customer sizes? We do it all, uh, larger customers, you know, the further you go up the spectrum, get to the smallest, the lowest level, there's a lot of web business. Um, you know, the further, the bigger they get, the more likely they are to be into e-procurement, punch out, hosted catalog uh, mm. solutions and request that. And then at the very highest level, obviously, EDI. And right now we do it all. Uh, and we try to make it as fast and efficient to get set up on those things as possible. Um, and it has been a valued part of our customer experience for sure. And, and all of it is growing. All of it is growing faster than offline business for us. So the, the customers are voting with their, their choices, their requests, their purchases. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're just trying to support it and stay ahead of where customers are if we can on what their needs are. Um, what kind of team do you, I mean, so your scope of responsibility sounds like it includes the website you said, right? Yeah. 
So what is your, what does your team look like? I mean, you know, I don't know if you want to describe the, the positions exactly, but the skill sets, however you want to, how you want, however you want to characterize it. What does it take to run a marketing and e-commerce group? Um, and, and I assume you have the sort of the customer facing portion of the website, not the technology. Uh, yeah, we have team. you know tight partnership with IT. On yeah, right. And right. Uh, and or third party partners, outside partners who are doing development and helping with implementation on things. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, we have a marketing team, which includes digital marketing, marketing automation, integration with CRM, that sort of thing. An e-commerce team with folks that are responsible for generally the e-commerce business, the the experience online, product information management. Um, that's been a big focus, just how are we ingesting and improving uh, and curating all of the product data that we have to make the great, a great experience online. Um, and, you know, tight integration, like I said, with IT, people that are executing, uh, they're making improvements, making customizations to the site, um, or setting up customers on EDI, on, um, on punch out, that sort of thing. So there's a blurry line. <laughs> between the, the, our, our, the sort of commercial e-commerce side and the IT side. And, you know, folks on those teams spend a lot of their day in the same meetings and, you know, organizationally, they may be on a different org chart, but in reality, they're very much locked arm in arm uh, in that regard. Yeah, I think uh, I've been in the same, in a similar situation, you know, where I had similar responsibilities and and that partnership with IT is key. Right. I mean, yeah. and, but a lot of them are very customer focused. I mean, I really didn't have an insular set of partners. I thought they were, they were as focused on success online as we were. Is that your experience? Yeah. Yeah. The other area where we're, we're, um, we have some team members focused on is really about adoption. How are we helping customers make the leap themselves right. to recognize the benefits of using a digital platform, how this can streamline their own operations, how this can, uh, uh, enable them to have a better experience um, and getting them set up, <laughs> answering basic questions about, uh, you know, how do I how do I set up quick lists and you know things that make the buying experience very easy, because we find once they realize that often the conversation is, um, can you show me how to? Sure. And yeah. two months later, they're like, oh, we're done. Yeah, fast, easy. <laughs> oh, that's great. I didn't know it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, easy. yeah. People, uh, maybe the slow adopters, it's uh, a lack of understanding and the solutions are way easier than they think they would they would be probably. Uh, so once we're able to show them, you know, uh, how to do things, uh, it, you know, they, they embrace it pretty quickly is what we find. Well, here's someone who's looking for something easy, for an easy solution. This is uh, Kev B in the audience is asking, have you found any easy ways to fix generally poor product information from B2B manufacturers? Uh, to fix it. No, we haven't had, we have not been struggling with that uh, personally. That's not been one of our biggest pain points. Um, we have some great partners who actually have great product data generally for the big chunk of our business, I should say. If you if you were to look at a distribution curve here, most of our business is with big partners who have great data. And I find in our industry, almost all of them are using Salsify as a PIM. It's, Got it. uh, so we have a pretty consistent way we can go get that information and bring it into our own uh, environment. 
Um, and they're pretty excited to work with us if there's anything else we need, which is great. The long tail, I guess, is really where the challenge is. And we may have some manufacturers and suppliers who we're not as important to them and they're not as important to us. Uh, and, you know, they may have more imports. And so uh, creating your own content uh, is maybe the battle that that question touches on as well. We do have folks internally that are doing that um, with quote, photography, video, copywriting. That's an area where we've dabbled with AI for content generation. The challenge is always in my mind, can you trust what it produces? You got to, you really got to make sure that, uh, you know, garbage in and gar is garbage out is the old, the old saying. And I don't know if that's really true with AI. Sometimes you don't have to put the garbage in for it to give you something that you didn't. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so we're still getting a feel for how much can you trust right. the content generation solutions out there to make sure you got the right information. But uh, I, we uh, ultimately, we have some people working on it. And, you know, we try to Pareto and prioritize it, but um, we've been fortunate to have a lot of good suppliers on most of our big, uh, our category products where we're, where, where it matters the most to us. So. All right. We have another question. Patrick says, uh, or asks, can you talk about the importance of punch out? We are a smaller company just getting started in e-commerce and interested to know if the juice is worth the squeeze. Uh, yeah. Um, where to start? So I would say it's important, absolutely important. Um, if you look at customers, you got your smallest customers buying online, and then you have this sort of middle zone of customers that tend to be, uh, that that's where they get interested in more sophisticated procurement platforms where punch out becomes uh, a factor and the most sophisticated on EDI. So one, if you're prioritizing customers, you're getting into a bigger segment of customers who tend to be interested. So you're going after some bigger fish. Punch-out serves bigger fish. That's a good thing. Uh, um, and being able to enable those is great. And once you have them on Punch-out, the customer's more sticky, uh, mm. right? That you are enabling by becoming part of their own internal processes, you're making it easier for them to use their processes to buy from you than an outside company that doesn't have that enabled. So it should have some competitive advantage to it once it's enabled versus somebody who doesn't. That's how I would say that. Look, there's I, I, we've looked at a lot of different things uh, in terms of enabling Punch-Out. There are pay for, uh, pay for platform services, which is a quick solution and it makes it, um, you know, it gets you in the game. But scalability-wise, it gets expensive. And the more the more customers you're getting on there, and the more volume you're doing for them, it your the the expenses go up with it. And to the extent that you reach a scale in your own organization where you can enable your own team to set up and manage punch out internally, uh, you can work faster and way cheaper in terms of enabling it at a, your own internal operating cost. Um, and that is the capability that we we've had that in a few places. We continue to expand that and that allows you to run fast and really enable this. Uh, so I guess that's a, a little oversight as to how yeah. I think about it. Um, so you can go out there and use like the punch out to go kind of uh, platforms to get in the game and it's worth it. Uh, and the other thing is from time to time, you have some customers who have high complexity needs relative to others. And you may choose to use that even if you have your own internal punch out setup capabilities. Um, 
it may still make it faster, better, easier in some situations to use those. So it's worth considering and educating yourself on what those platforms are and how they operate, you know? Yeah. And and speaking of rebranding, uh, punch out to go is now called trade centric. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Trade centric. Right. right. Okay. I think uh, we're going to wrap up, uh, Ian, thank you so much. If I could ask the audience to hold on for one more minute, just to hear about a couple of upcoming programs, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, So on February 28th, we have, I think, arguably, maybe inarguably, the leading thinker on distributor profitability. Uh, Dr. Al Bates will be doing the four pillars of profit improvement. This is a fantastic episode or 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 study that he will be presenting that will have an accompanying white paper brought to you by Epicor, who's a sponsor that just supports our content again and again and again uh, and really deserves the attention of distributors who are looking for an ERP solution. And then on March 6, we have a technology leader panel, how tech elevates customer experience and personalization. And this is going to be really interesting because we have representatives from Esker, Epicor, ProKeep, and Continuum.ai, and they represent this whole really interesting spectrum of customer experience. Like Continuum AI is a brand new company, and they specialize in automating the returns process, uh, which is something that really has needed some attention from a technology company. Um, And so I... And of course, you know, the others all have really interesting solutions. You should definitely uh, dial in for this. It's a one hour, be uh, uh, well worth your time. That's again on March 6th. We always start at 12 o'clock Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific. Uh, so thanks to all those companies for supporting our content. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. But you know what, Ian, we couldn't have had the show without you. And it was really just a, uh, just a, such a fascinating conversation and a real pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to talking to you again soon. It was everything it promised to be and more. Thank you, Ian. (laughs) It really was. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Best wishes to you. We'll see you next time on a distribution strategy group program. Bye now.